How's it going guys? This is Dan Fagella at Tech Emergence. Uh, on the line with me right now I have Eduardo, uh, Eduardo uh, Torres-Jara who is a PhD from MIT in the domain of robotics, now an assistant professor at WPI as well as founder of Robot Rebuilt, um, a company of his own. Uh, Eduardo, how's it going today brother? Very good, thanks. Cool. Uh, and I, I know I had found you originally. I've been lucky enough to speak with so many uh, great and brilliant uh, folks who've, who've gotten their formal training from MIT. I saw you originally for your work in sensitive manipulation and or sensitive robotics. I really kind of wanted to start there because it seems like that's still where you're honed in the most, both uh, you know commercially and in terms of research. What do you mean when, when you uh, talk about sensitive robotics and where are you guys really applying those concepts today? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, sensitive robotics for me, the idea is expanding on what AI was talking for a while, and what is called embedded in, uh, intelligence. Mm -hmm. The idea that you actually need to have a body in order to make the robot smarter. But um, the expansion that we're doing is that in order to make use of that body, that body needs to be very sensitive and sensitive to contact because most of the robots that you'll see uh, we have worked a lot on dynamics and make them very uh, stable uh, capable to follow the trajectories very precisely but they're not that great when they try to come in contact with the world for example imagine this uh, really heavy robot handling uh, the assembly of a big uh, in a big car company they are very good at lifting very heavy weights and positioning themselves with a really high accuracy, less than one millimeter, they're really impressive. Uh, but you don't want to be close to it when you know it comes in contact because if they fail with their trajectory, let's say they're trying to put something on a table and they didn't have the right plan and or they hit an obstacle in the middle because they are really heavy because they need that in order to be precise and they're moving very fast, they're going to break when they come in contact with yeah. themselves or the actual table. Yeah. So we need to create a, a, better, a different technology and the technology that has been proposed for some, some time already is make the robot compliant so the robot becomes very soft now. It's easy to come in contact. Uh, one of the first applications was you see this in the legs of the robots that was done for example in the leg lab in, in MIT some time ago. But um, the problem with soft technology or like soft robotics is that now you lost the precision, so most of the theory that has been developed uh, is now directly applicable. And so you need to compensate for that loose uh, imprecision. And so what we do is, in my specific case, we use sensitivity to contact. Um, I guess the easy application to see is manipulation because it makes sense for us to that the robots should have tactile feedback in the hands at least. Yep. Uh, that technology, you know, like the easy idea is if you woke up at night, you can always find your remote control <laughs> and reorient it and push the on button. And there it is with no computer vision, no high precision, but all with the tactile feedback coming from your hand. Yeah. Um, of course, in our, you know, the idea seems very simple. Then. Uh, the changes are really big because you need to change it all the hardware in order to build a new type of software. And we're very used to like say, well, we're going to do the smarter like, hardware, smarter software, and keep using the good technology that we have developed already because technology is really great, the position control. 
but uh, we need to make these changes. So the changes are at all levels. You need to start changing the hardware in order to change the software as well. And that was the main idea with sensitive manipulation. But it turns out that uh, we can actually expand this work that we did with hands and arms to actually put it in the feet of the robot and the whole body to do better navigation. Or And we have started addressing the case of flying robots where the feathers actually work like, uh, some of the feathers work like tactile feedback, feeling the air, kind of like manipulating the air to do the flying. Yeah. And that's the main idea behind it. Huh, okay. And I can, I can very easily see, at least uh, just sort of imagining what you're describing here, how, you know, tactile feedback from a hand would be useful if a robot was, you know, handling, um, you know, objects of different textures or sizes or levels of durability, um, or even in the air, how, you know, the, the feedback from the wind, you know, might be able to help kind of calibrate uh, the angle of the wings or, you know, the trajectory of the, the flying robot. Um, what are some of those, those, uh, those other applications, I suppose? I know you had mentioned even in walking, you guys were uh, working on this, this concept. Yeah, we're just starting with that. So the idea is that walking and manipulation share a lot of uh, common issues. And so, you know, you kind of have an arm, but instead of the arm trying to move a small object, now you have uh, the leg that has the same configuration, but the object that you try to handle is not going to move because the floor, basically. Um, and then it was giving a lot of attention to uh, the dynamics of the robot, the balance in the robot that makes sense. But it was usually not considered that the feet as uh, a whole structure should be something important. And so what we have done is we have focused on the feet and used tactile feedback on the feet and now try to do the redefine the walking algorithm but using the sensitive feet. And you know, like this experiment is like you know, again, you can close your eyes and you can walk with only your feet uh, as long as you don't you don't hit something. Uh, but you understand a lot about the terrain. For example, you know if you place your feet uh, or your foot on a on an edge, and so you decide to move far in like a, to a different position because you recognize that you're on an edge. Or if you step on a, the tip of a stone, you again you move the feet somewhere else. Yeah. But that would be you know from the exploration point of view. But most importantly. Um, when you're standing, although we are not conscious about this all the time, your feet is giving you enough information to say you are balanced because all the forces are distributed between them and you know. Uh, at the same time, you also know when you're about to fall, you know, you have this feeling on the feet that you, you start understanding that the forces are concentrated beyond the, poly, the polygon that you define with your feet. And so, you, you know, like we do this, all these things unconsciously, uh, but now we're trying to take advantage of that in our robot. Again, that shares the same problems manipulation, so we start changing first the hardware. Now we're changing the basic algorithms to do the signal processing of that type of sensors. And on top of that, we're going to go to uh, the high-level uh, software. But uh, you know, a funny thing to say, and it's like, you know, it's not that this idea hasn't been thought before, and you know, having sensors seems something very easy to, to put and do it. But it turns out that tactile feedback especially has a different type of, cons you know, some other considerations that you need to have in mind when you design this type of sensors. And in general, available sensors, uh, 
do not have those characteristics because it's not only the fact they have good sensing, but also they have to provide a good interface with the physical world, and that's what our skin does. So we're combining all this to try to make more agile robots that at the end it will be smarter. Huh, okay. So you, you've had to sort of refocus on how, uh, or, or refocus and it sounds like rebuild even your software? Totally. Yeah. yeah. The hardware and the software. To, to yeah. be able to right. kind of put up with this new kind of data and factor that into how it how it's going to affect uh, movement, ambulation, etc. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, I can see how there'd be a lot of sort of wiring involved there. There's certainly a lot of wiring in us. Um, and and on on that note, uh, and given the fact that I was actually I was just watching a very interesting program on Discovery called uh, I think it was called Making Things Wilder or something. Okay. They they talked a lot about how many applications of uh, modern robotics and and other other uh, you know technological applications are, are taking lessons from nature in many respects. And I know you know for example, uh, big dog out there in Boston you know, is not necessarily modeled off of one animal, but does certainly glean um, not only in appearance but in in actual you know the actual construction and, and inspiration uh, many many portions of, of sort of you know again like a biological being and I know you've worked on humanoid robotics. how has sort of the modeling of nature played a role in what you're doing now, which is you know we have these systems in our in our in our bodies right now right of you know active feedback about how the pressures in our feet affect our sense of balance in our mind. Um, are, are you guys gleaning a lot from biology? It's just kind of a from scratch thing. Yeah, that is the main source of inspiration ah. that has been all around my career too. It is, um, you know, we have a system and that really works. We see it all the time and it's amazing what human and animals can do. It's impressive. Uh, if we see the computation, also it's very difficult to understand because, you know, like we have progress, neuroscientists have done a lot of progress, but it's not totally clear what we do. And what it never stops impressing me is that it's true we try to understand the brain, but at the lower level, at the sensing level, uh, you know, the, the, the basic sensor are even more impressive. And that is what actually that has driven, for example, the sensitive robotics. The idea is that, I was saying at the beginning, you know, we can think, okay, let's put four sensors or pressure sensors on the robot, we're sure we'll get something interesting. Now, when you actually get to implement this, this becomes very complicated because I have done this many times, just take a typical sensor and try to place it, and it doesn't do what biology do. And then you go back to biology and just study, for example, in the case of tactile sensors, how the, the skin is, is, has been built and the many layers and the basic mechanisms that they use, we went to that level. So we actually were able to build, uh, design and invent a new sensor that it was completely, that was very functional because we actually tried to capture the, we got inspired from the ridges, the ridges that you see in the human uh, fingertips. Those are really important structures. So it turns out that it's not only the sensor, but also the structure that allows biology systems to detect better. And yeah. on top of that, not only do the sensing, but at the same time provides a good interface. And although that seems very like simple, uh, providing that good interface actually allows you to handle different things. For example, an egg, if you have the most sensitive uh, device that is rigid, when you try to, to handle it, you apply too much pressure that you probably crack the egg. And that's yeah. what most of the 
so yeah, most of the robots don't succeed in that. But you know, the easy solution is like, yeah, sure, let's put rubber around the system and it works. And when you do that, then you separate the interface from the sensor, and then it becomes something more complicated. So what we have achieved is to put all those things together, but totally inspired by biology. And then, interestingly enough, you start changing the, the computation itself because before we use all the power of the computation to compute the dynamics, now we have a lot of sensors and we can start wiring those sensors back. As you said, there's a lot of wiring inside us. But the, the computation is, is very effective because now the information that we have is very relevant to the task. Um, because of that, even though we have more sensors than a normal application, our computation because a lot becomes a lot more simpler because uh, we are sensing the right variables, or the, let's say the variables that are relevant to the task that we are trying to achieve yeah. at that moment. Yeah, Han, that's it, uh, that, that's cool. You guys have gleaned that much inspiration there. Obviously, it's I know for example in. Uh, it, seems totally unrelated but in, in the world of marketing um, if at all possible at least as a baseline it makes sense to go with a model that's already working in that space so if you're going to be promoting a certain thing you know as a default you know gun to head figuring out what's gonna like hey I'm gonna need to eat food after I do this thing well you know you're best off you know figuring out who's doing it and and you know tweaking and adjusting already working models that are proven to work and Seems like in robotics, you know, we don't really have that that much uh, right. in terms of you know more advanced robots because you guys are on the cutting edge, so you have to glean those lessons from what works, which is biology. And it's interesting that even to the le the, the level of layering skin and layering, uh, the, you know, the, or, or understanding that the the texture of you know the the fingertip and how that can play such a role um, in the actual construction of these robots. That's fascinating stuff. Definitely, yeah. I'm always impressed by this, and that's why I keep working in this area. <laughs> yeah, big time. Um, and and speaking of these areas, I guess you know your your domain now is sensitive robotics. There's uh, a lot of buzz around sort of sensors right now, uh, and everything from you know documentaries on the singularity to you know other folks at MIT who I've talked to. Um, and I was speaking with actually a CEO of a small uh, ro burgeoning kind of robotics company out there in France who had talked about. Um, you know, just the, the dropping prices and, and increasing functionality of, of many different kinds of sensors, maybe not all, um, and how, you know, cell phone technology and other things, you know, big, big, big corporations that are fighting to make those things efficient have sort of brought it down for the rest of us in some respects. How do you see, um, you know, this transition in sensors as influencing, you know, your own progress or other people's progress in robotics? Oh, definitely. You know, there's this, um it's not only going to be in robotics, but in, all, in, all, in many other areas. So technology for sensors have become inexpensive, and we start fabricating a lot of things. And because they become inexpensive, now it's possible to have sensors in places that we should have it a long time ago. So ah. my example on this, for example, is like we have a car. A car is a device that it's about two tons or more up that we are driving. And we have almost no sensors to drive such a big machine. So moving a big mass with little sensitivity. So it's kind of, you know, if someone gives you 
gives you that as the engineering problem, problem, it will be like, well, let's have some sensors at least to see where the obstacles are. And so we're happy now that you know it's becoming more and more standard to have uh, sonars in the back of the car, sonars in front of the car, cameras have become so, so inexpensive that now, you, at least when you're driving back, some of the cars can actually see what's happening. And, you know, like there's like the smart cars, like all the driverless uh, cars are starting to have now laser scanners with all the software to actually help you to stop. And if you think back, that is something we should have had a long time ago, right? <laughs> yeah, it makes are, sense. It's very logical. Right. And so we have, it has taken a long time to actually get there. So, you know, new sensors, the given that in the inexpensive, uh, it's going to make things easier to control, more safe for humans and more effective as well. And, um, you know, like, I always have, as an example, like, you know, take any animal that's capable to move anywhere. And if you see the animal, it has a lot of sensors around the body, so <laughs> yeah. the animal actually knows where the body is, right? And so if you send a dog, for example, under our, in a rescue mission, he can go anywhere in a building that has a lot of debris because it does, never gets stuck because it knows where its body is. So in our typical robots, don't have any tactile feedback on the body itself. So you only see what the camera sees and suddenly one wheel gets stuck in a hole. You don't know where it is, right? Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, like I have remembered this example in a spirit, uh, the, when they send it to Mars, uh, while the, the wheels got on sand and got stuck, right? So it would be good to have robots that actually understand that their feet, in this case, their wheel actually is stuck. Yeah. Um, so a lot of sensors are going to help to build a lot of things. You know, another thing uh, I have is uh, airplanes. We have a number of sensors, but I think we can have a lot more to actually make them uh, safer or easy to maneuver. Okay, so you something I I'm working on, but I'll, I'll tell about this later more. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I know for some people uh, the the this transition of of sensors really uh, dropping in price, increasing in functionality. As you had mentioned, we're able to put them in places where, holy goodness, you know, why haven't we had sensors in those spots before? Right. Um, it, it, some some people think that that will sort of bring about to some extent almost like a revolution in robotics because now we can have active feedback systems and sort of take a lot of the clunkiness um, and, and you know, sort of traditionally what you think of as a robot, right, if you don't work at MIT, when you think robot, you know, you think rigid kind of movements, you, you think knocking, knocking things over and breaking things, right, and, and of course that's not necessarily what robotics is, that's just what robotics has been, that's what our technology has been able to do. Um, it, it's not necessarily what robotics is whatsoever. Um, do you see that the sensor transition we're seeing right now um, kind of bringing about a, a, a revolution in the robotics field, whether it's where you are up there in Boston, elsewhere, etc.? Yeah, you know, like specifically from my point of view, it's all about that, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Sensitive robotics is all about that. And that you're we world. have a lot of challenges, definitely, because, uh, you know, Take, let's take a quick look at a robot. So a robot has a lot of encoders on the limbs and the joints. So let's say we have 27 encoders, 30 encoders at most. It will be, I'm just making up the number. Yeah. Um, uh, and 
and you have a camera which have a lot of pixels, which is usually where most of the processing goes, and sometimes you have a laser scanner, and also most of the processing goes to that visual information. But compare that to an animal who tried to do any task, you know, like any monkey is very good at manipulating things and about moving the body around very easily. Uh, just in the fingertips, humans have about 100 points of one type of tactile sensor, just in the fingertip. So if we try to, my, my take on this is if you're going to use a robot that's actually able to be uh, perform well in the world, the robot needs to understand what the interaction between its body and the world itself. And in order to do that, we, we can't try to estimate all the configurations just by using those 30 sensors and the encoders and the joints and the camera. We need to have lots more sensors everywhere. And, and you know, in my case, I do give a lot of emphasis to the tactile, but there's a lot of like temperature sensors that are needed. There are a lot of uh, inertial sensors that are going to be needed. They are take, you know, they're coming into the robots and there are new versions of robots that actually are taking advantage of some sensors, but in order to be very flexible, we need a lot more sensing. Um, I think, uh, I was going to say, you know, like most of the robots that before used force feedback and things like that was the equivalent of having to uh, LED instead of a camera. So you were able to capture just the average light around you as opposed to each detail of the image that you can see. Yeah. So in this case, the tactile sensor that we had before, it was like having just one point of reference as opposed to having the detail of the contact. And now we, we're getting to the contact and that's going to open so many possibilities, you know, like starting with the ones that I mentioned, like walking and manipulation. Cool. Um, and and with that being said, obviously you're leveraging some of these technologies as well, um, or you, you will be moving forward sort of in in other spaces, kind of the business world or industrial world or, or whatever else. Um, I, I'll often ask just because, again, the, the world of emerging technology is so exciting here. Um, where do you see in, in the robotic space, maybe there are some areas in robotics, and I think there probably are, um, where, you know, gargantuan existing companies might have the edge already in terms of some specific projects or applications, but then other areas that would be really interesting and so much traction could be uh, gained and gleaned with uh, new technologies by startups for specific applications in robotics. What for you are, are some of sort of the exciting entrepreneurial opportunities that you're seeing popping up in, in the robotics world? Oh, there are a lot. I think you know, it's like we're getting to understand that you know, we have smarter a little bit smarter machines, we can do a lot more. Uh, so, you know, one of the areas that I think is going to take off big time is um, the flying robots. We have a lot of quadrupters and we are having more, better systems to power them up. And we have a lot of technology that can, like, put in them. Like, as soon as we solve most of the trade off between the sensing that we can put on those robots and the, the battery power. We're going to see a lot of applications uh, when the when it's possible. You know, when the the regulations are, are going to change so that the robots we can have like commercial UAVs. This is going to be a, a big hit. We have all different types of applications that you know that it's difficult not to think of a flying robot doing something close to you, either by measuring things, by uh, mapping things, by passing your information. Engineering itself is going to take a lot of like uh, advantage of that. 
Uh, another big area is definitely manipulation. And I think it's going to take a little bit longer, but um, that is, a, you know, like a different area uh, that's completely big. So, you know, by talking to engineers of one company that does robotics and like they are the leaders on, well, the leaders on industrial robotics, they mentioned that only 20% of the applications they request to do, they can implement it with the current technology. So we have 80% of them now possible to do because they didn't have the technology for manipulation, to, to make manipulation more flexible. So just imagine that, right? So 80% of the possible applications that have been requested at this moment are not possible to implement, and we're not even considering the other applications that might come. Yeah. And most of manufacturing at this moment is still done by hand. Uh, you know, you, even if you get to a car industry, you see that sure cars, uh, engines in the cars are assembly, are assembled by industrial robots. However, uh, when you had to put the, the door on the car because you need to make the hinges to pop in the right place, people still have to come because they have the sensitivity to actually yeah. do that kind of wiggling to actually get in the right place. And a clear example for us is like uh, placing the wheel on the car. When you had to replace the, uh, when you have a flat tire, imagine the task that you have to do, the robots can't do that time because you get you had to go and like kind of like fiddle until you actually get the first screw in the right place, and then you can do the task, right? So there's a lot of manipulation tasks, especially in assembly. Ah, okay, so so yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, you know, I think I think there's a lot of hubbub around it, and I don't know why. I think you know, sky is falling type stuff gets a lot of hubbub. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, of, of robots, you know, taking, taking people's jobs and things along those lines. But I, but I think at the end of the day, you know, the more manual and or physical a job is certainly the more likely that would be, um, right. you know, it, yeah. whether it's, you know, packing shoes in a department store, whether it's, I mean, there's so many of those things, like you said, um, it's just that robots aren't, you know, they aren't capable of using vision with a sense of feel, you know, with a semblance of mobility to be able to actually get that task done. But if those levels could be increased just a little bit, that's how many people that could be replaced instantly. You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, this thing about taking the jobs, um, I think is is easier to achieve the technology that we see in science fiction, like machines flying and machines like being very flexible, that to say that the robots are actually going to take the jobs from people. Uh, there's... It's very difficult to replace the smart of a person. So we always have a robot helping the person to do something more effectively. But and the, and the person given that smart can do a lot more things with the machine that we provide. You know, like the case of the computer, uh, everyone was saying, well, all the assistants were going to be replaced because now we have computers. Actually, now the assistants are more needed to actually use the computers. Yeah. And provides more jobs, more than remove jobs. So I think that's going to be the case with robotics as well. You you wonder, um, yeah, it might might not just be an elimination of of uh, of jobs per se, but just sort of a moving around. You wonder at the level at which you know more and more robots will be able to function without kind of that that higher level help, and sort of where that uh, where that takes us in transitions, which is rather interesting stuff. Um, on a uh, on a little bit of a closing note here, um, 
I know normally when I'm catching up with folks, especially in the research world, who are really embedded there, as you have been for years and years, um, sure. the the it's it's always exciting for me to kind of get an understanding of you know in the coming two to five years, where do you see you know obviously there's a lot going on in robotics from quadcopters, which are apparently everywhere. I think every like third person has a quadcopter startup company right. at this point. Um, uh, to you know, to the sensitive robotic stuff, which you had mentioned, might you know take us a little while longer. In the next two to five, where do you see some of those most exciting new applications sort of moving forward? Stuff that maybe most people would notice or would literally make a difference in in our lives to some extent. Mm, let me think for a sec. Yeah, I definitely think that the flying technology will come in, and you will be walking in the building, and you'll see them either taking you somewhere by guiding you, uh, or if you go to a construction, you'll see a lot of these little devices helping the people that are building the, the structures to have all the information they need. Um, I also see any like like search operations, like you know, like you need to find a person. Many of these devices can actually go and do local search because you don't need. I mean, you can have the imaging right there. Um, any emergency problem, we have those robots going and give us a really quick estimation. I think the area of photography and uh, related areas like uh, filming will get a lot of impact by these robots. I think they're actually getting it right now. Um, so those, those would be some of the areas they think. Then I also think that industrial robots will take a different shape as opposed to be the, I mean, they, they, are, they are doing that right now, but we start to see this more uh, commonly in, in different factories. So robots will, are becoming expensive, but at the same time more dexterous and more capable of doing things. So it might be the case that now, maybe you walk in a gap store and you see a robot helping you to provide the clothes that, that it will give you the right shape and things like that very quickly because they're Shaped and safe. Got it. Okay, cool. So a different, different shape and manifestation of the industrial robots as well. Um, so it, just as a, um, a final, final note, if, if folks want to learn a, a little bit more about uh, what it is that you're doing now, you know, whatever projects um, you have that are kind of out there in the, the public in terms of interesting stuff, obviously, again, there's a lot of buzz around sensors. You're really working in that space. Where could people go to sort of learn a little bit more about that? Uh, definitely. So you can go to my webpage on, on WPI, which is wpi.edu slash etarsj, or my company that's called Robot Rebuilt, and the webpage is the same as the name, www.robotrebuilt.com. Got it. Okay, cool. So people can learn there. And obviously, I'll, get, I'll grab some links uh, from you to be able to link up to that as well. Eduardo, thank you so much Great. for taking the time here today. I really appreciate the My insight. Pleasure, yeah. Cool. Very good. Hey, we'll catch you soon. See you. Yep. Bye then. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, 
And be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>